everybody, and welcome to What's the Story podcast. This is WTS 277. My name's Danny Murray. 20 times, 20 times. Oh God, just do the intro, Graham. Just do the intro. 20 times, 20 times, I say. 20 times, 20 times, Shamrock Rovers. Playing football the Bradley way. Way. 20 times, 20 times, Shamrock Rovers. 20 times, 20 times. Two hours later. The Bradley way. And I'm Gray American. I'd like to apologize to our listeners for that uh, technical issue. 20 times. Uh, you're obviously in fine fettle, Graham, considering uh, you're... I am euphoric. Your beloved Shamrock Rovers are the champions, indeed, for the 20th time. And the third time in a row. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you. Uh, uh, and because of that, in tribute to the mighty Shamrock Rovers, we're not doing an intro properly this week because uh, it just means Mero will waffle about that. So we're going straight to our guest. <laughs> he was our guest, Danny. Delighted to say... That the wonderful Eva Gallagher has joined us for the podcast this week. Eva first came to our attention around this time last year when I started listening to Finding Q by the brilliant Nikki Wolf, who we had in the podcast uh, about a year ago, talking about QAnon and just the batshit crazy things that have been going on there. Eva was part of that podcast. So when I saw a book called Web of Lies come out, what a promo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I saw a book called Web of Lies come out and I saw Eva's name on it, I was like, <gasps> Hang on a second. And a light bulb went off. And I'm delighted to say she said she'd come on the podcast and talk to us. And here she is, Eva Gallagher. Here I am. Woo. Eva. Thanks. Can, can I just Thanks say, so when I listened, when I was listening to Finding Q and I heard a lovely uh, Irish accent on Finding Q, I felt so proud. <laughs> Bridget. Like, yes, we are contributing to this web of lies. <laughs> Did you like that experience with Nikki? Oh, it was it was brilliant. And you know what's really sad is that myself and Nikki have still not met in real life. Like all of our communications have essentially taken place, me sitting in this chair. Um, and oh, it was it was an unbelievable experience. When he first got in touch with me, <laughs> I remember when he first got in touch and he was like, you know, we want to find out who Q is. And myself and Daniel Mackey, who actually we did the work together, essentially, mm. um, it's only my voice you hear, but we kind of did the, the background work together. And I remember us talking after the call and just being like, we're never going to find Q. Like, that's ne- it's never going to happen. <laughs> oh, really? It's one of the best podcasts I've ever listened oh, to. Amazing. Really? Oh, I'm yeah. Gr- delighted. Yeah, it, it came together so well in the end. Like, I thought the, the production of it and everything was just, I couldn't believe it when I heard it all coming together in the end. I was like, oh, my God, because we have yeah. recorded. I don't know, hundreds of hours of Zoom calls and like yeah. even trying to figure out what to put into it, like out of all the ramblings that myself and Nikki had over and back to each other. Like, yeah. but yeah, he did, he did a great job now, I have to that, say. That and um, Finding George gave me when I was listening to Boat, I, I wanted visuals as well. Do you know that way? You kind of want mm. a documentary. I wanted to see Nikki outside your man's house. I yeah. wanted to see... Uh, the lads, the second captains outside the the mall where they approached George Gibney, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's a compliment. Like it, it was just, it was, it was gripping. I would recommend anyone to listen to Finding Q with Nicky Wolf on what is that on, Daddy? Audible. It's, it's on Audible. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah it's and you can you can listen to it for free with a free trial. 
Just exactly. FYI, if you yeah, don't want to pay for, for your yeah. Audible subscription. And, and if you do want to pay for it, you'll get a token. And with that token, you can download the Roddy Collins autobiography from our friend Paul Howard. Look at us getting plugs in. <laughs> Yahoo! Paul. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. If, if you enjoyed the production value of Finding Kiwi, a great disappointment coming because our production values are far less than that. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Web of Lies, it's in bookshops now. Uh, I'm a, a few chapters in and loving it. And the book opens with you talking about uh, watching a couple of conspiracy theory films from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hadn't seen Zeitgeist, but you mentioned Loose Change. And I remember a kind of 14 year old me watching Loose Change going, how did those perfectly preserved passports make it to the ground after the planes hit the Twin Towers? And all these other questions that seemed unanswerable unless of mm. course it was an inside job um, yeah that, that's kind of how you got your first bit of window into conspiracy is it yeah like i watched zeitgeist first and mm. so for anyone that hasn't seen zeitgeist it's in three kind of separate parts i suppose and the first part is kind of puts forward this idea that jesus never existed and that christianity is essentially based on kind of astrology and kind of pagan religions. That, that's how I remember it anyway. The second part of it is about 9-11. So 9-11 is an inside job. And it's very, it's very similar to, to Loose Change, to be honest. It's kind of, they use like a lot of the same footage. They use a lot of the same, you know, commentators and people and things like that. And then the third part is about how the world is actually controlled by a small group of, you know, bankers and financiers who can kind of manipulate events in the world, including 9-11. So they like cause 9-11, you know, in order and like, the the end game is to microchip us all and a bit like how Meryl all. runs Bally Brack. <laughs> I'll take I'll your word for it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I watched Zeitgeist first, and I remember just being yeah quite blown away by it because. Hmm. They're very convincing. Those films are so convincing. And I don't know if you've, like Danny, if you've gone back to watch like Loose Change or any of that, like like in more recent years. Yeah. Um, but I went back to watch them. I w- I've watched them like a few times since, but you know, when I was writing the book, I went back to watch them to really kind of watch them and just be like, what is it about these films that kind of suck you in? And what I realized is that they really bombard the viewer with loads and loads of information in, in the one go. So you don't really have time to process like one thing before they, they throw something else at you. So it'll be like, you know, something that's true and then something, say like the passport thing, you know what I mean? Like something that's like, yes, the passport was found, which is mental, right? It is mental to think that things like that happened. Um, and then they'll throw in some kind of speculation. They'll throw in some kind of uh, another coincidence. They'll throw in something that's false. And you're just kind of bombarded with all this information. And eventually you're, and I kind of go into this in the first chapter of the book, it kind of feeds your brain's love of pattern perception, which is kind of the way our brain will see connections between things that don't really exist. And we just, we do this all the time anyway. And so you'll eventually come to the conclusion that, well, it must be an inside job because that's the only thing that ties all those things together. Um, and it's really interesting. I just, I was exhausted watching it back because I was trying to, <laughs> I was essentially trying to get a debunk every claim yeah. that was being put. And you, I was just stopping it every like 10 or 15 seconds being like, oh my God, like I'm trying, like it was, it was hard work to do it. Um, but yeah, those films, I think so many people watch those films. And since the book has come out as well, the amount of people that have gotten in touch with me and been like, oh my God, I remember watching them as well and just being blown away by them. Because yeah, you know, I... they kind of, they explain the world, they explain all the like, the chaos of the world in this really neat way. And you're like, well, all we need to do to solve all the world's problems is to get rid of this thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's very tempting. It's, it's, it's mad though, because 
like I, I can remember like I think Loose Change was passed around on like a, a kind of a born of a DVD around their school and everybody yeah. kind of watched that at some point and we'd all come in and be like fuck lads what's going on but then the, the thing obviously being older and I did try to watch Loose Change about three or four years ago and I got about a half hour in I just went I can't do this like I just can't yeah. do like conspiracy theories used to be so me and Mero have said this a lot over the years like Conspiracy theories used to be something that you could almost have a laugh and a joke about and almost be like, oh, look at it. you know, while well, you're having a point or you're just chatting away or whatever. But now it's like the game has got more sinister and more cynical. Mm. And it's like talking about now is kind of a thing where it's like, right, hang on a second, because there's there's people who will actually and you see it all the time where like you, you'll casually mention something and somebody in your circle of friends or somebody in your family or somebody, you know, will go, yeah, but you know they're pedophiles right yeah. and like oh here we go you but know? it's like a turning point for me was um the, i think might have been the first appearance uh alex jones on the joe rogan podcast and mm. i remember watching it like i would just I, i'm not a, a weekly i was never a weekly uh, viewer of joe rogan but like when he had guests like macaulay culkin or louis theroux and stuff like that you're kind of going wow like they're good subjects they've always been pretty poor podcasts but the first Alex Jones one was on. I remember watching it for comedy. Mm. And the turning point was when I went into work the next day and we people were talking about it and one person was believing in it. And I was mm. like, hold on a minute here. You actually don't believe in what Alex Jones was saying to you. And he was trying to argue the point. Yeah. And I was mm. like, oh no, something's up here. Not yeah. Anyone believe Alex Jones? Like, Yeah, that's the thing. I think like, I mean, someone like Joe Rogan, himself and Alex Jones are pals and have been for a very long time as far as I as, as I can remember um and I don't I don't know that I watched the entire Joe Rogan because he's been on a couple of times right Alex yeah he's been on, on a few times. times there was yeah, one yeah. really dramatic one uh Pizzagate I think was Pizzagate the, was the yeah. one yeah that's yeah, what it yeah. was yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. I think I remember watching it again and kind of coming back to what I said about Loose Change is that Alex Jones is an absolute master of doing this. So he's like able to kind of essentially do the same thing that Loose Change was, but from one person and in real life, do you know what I mean? So he just kind of keep saying all this stuff that is like completely untrue and Joe Rogan's fact checkers couldn't keep up with it. Do you know what I mean? And as much as Joe Rogan thinks that he can push back and stuff like that, he I don't think he can because he in my opinion, it has a conspiratorial mindset and he's kind of, mm. he's, he's, he's very drawn in by things like that in general. Um, and I think, I think that, it's like, the fact that it's an industry though, Aoife, in mm. that Joe knows that people will watch and Alex knows that people will buy. And yeah. when you're American and you're a capitalist, you just see the mighty dollar sign. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure those, those Alex Jones um, shows have racked up like significantly higher views i would say i'm guessing than than, yeah, than yeah. other yeah, ones yeah. do you know what i mean because he is a a controversial character to have on but like yeah i mean i talk about joe rogan a couple of times danny you probably haven't got to that part of the book yet more kind mm. of to do with the, the the covid misinformation stuff which you know there was you know a lot of controversy about at the time but he kind of became a bit of a rite of passage for a lot of the kind of big covid denier and covid skeptic influencers they kind of as soon as they made it onto joe rogan's podcast they just reached this new level of fame um yeah. and he really you know i've i i don't say that joe rogan he's not all bad and i've 
listen to some of his interviews that are very, very good. Mm. And he definitely gets stuff out of people that, you know, other interviewers don't. But he doesn't really, he doesn't have that kind of journalistic ability to kind of be able to pick apart when people are saying things. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, one of the the examples I give in the book is, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough, who was uh, a cardiologist, very well-renowned cardiologist that kind of fell into like COVID skepticism and COVID denial and anti-vaccine stuff during the pandemic. And he was a big advocate for hydroxychloroquine, which was one of the kind of cures, I'm using air quotes here, that were kind of um, touted around at the start of the pandemic as, you know, a cure that was being hidden, I suppose, by the establishment. Um, And he was doing a lot of research on this. And then, you know, eventually it came out that, you know, hydroxychloroquine wasn't working in the way that that people thought it was. And instead of him, (laughs) you know, accepting the fact that he might have been wrong about what he was you know what he was researching or whatever he instead puts forward this idea on the joe rogan podcast that what was actually happening was that doctors and nurses and scientists all had this big plan in place to make people sick and kill them and i was like really that that's why you think that that you know you're not wrong actually this massive conspiracy is what's really happening so joe rogan doesn't really have the ability i suppose to say wait a second that seems a bit mad like where's your proof for that you know what i mean he, yeah. he tends to get pulled into things, and I'm remiss to turn this into a review with Joe Rogan, but he tends to get pulled yeah. into things that you can tell he's kind of either out of his depth or he's like, sometimes a bit like myself and Meryl, two excitable children who hear something and go, oh, what? No way, yeah. let's talk about that. And then, you know, but like some of the stuff that, that he's he said, I mean, I suppose a little bit to his credit, and I wouldn't be part of the bro Rogan culture, uh, but like he has said himself in the past, he's just, you know, the fear factor guy who, you know, shouts at UFC fighters for a living kind mm. of thing. So maybe we shouldn't take him as seriously as people do. But equally, some of the stuff that's been said in that podcast over the years is bananas. And the, the Alex yeah. Jones stuff and yeah. when, even, even the episode where he talked about getting COVID himself, I didn't listen to the full thing. I only caught kind of snippets that were shared on social media where he talked about like self-treatment and kind of, I think he mm. referenced that Hydri thingy majiggy that I can't was I, Ivermectin was the big thing. Oh, Ivermectin was essentially the yeah. second, the, the like after hydroxychloroquine died down, Ivermectin was the, the second one that took its place. But um, but yeah. yeah, that's the thing about Joe Rogan is that, you know, he has to <clears throat> realise that he has a huge audience. I don't know if he's still the most listened to podcast, but he, he was for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And when you have an audience like that, you have responsibilities. And that, like, that's it, really. Do you know what I mean? It just True. comes down to that. You have responsibilities to your audience. So yeah. these, the, these, like the, the internet definitely is kind of part of the reason that like these conspiracies these conspiracy theories rather and the, the batshit crazy things that we hear now the internet has a huge role to play in it because beforehand like like we said with like the loose change you needed your friend to give you the dvd or you needed mm-hmm. you know even before that the vhs tape or you needed something that took time to circulate but now it's all instantaneous yeah. so this rise that we've seen in the last few years and Trump probably has a part to play in it because that's amplified it even more. Like, it's like it's just, it's so easy for people to fall into these things now, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, there's a few reasons for that. You know, I kind of talk about, I suppose, the, the kind of business model of a lot of the social media platforms, which is based on keeping eyes on screens for as long as possible. Um, and they do that by amplifying content that's, generates engagement, right? Mm-hmm. And content that generates engagements tends to be divisive and kind of outrageous content. So a lot of platforms are almost built to um, to amplify and promote 
false information or promote kind of information that that isn't exactly true do you know what i mean because that's what generates engagement right so that's the, that's kind of the, the the first thing is that a lot of the platforms and they weren't always like this right i mean mm. i think most people will remember when Facebook was lovely and, you know, it, it was just your friends sharing photos of every night out that you were ever out, you know, things like that. But, so but it old Bebo when you can draw on people's walls. Exactly, good old <laughs> Bebo, you know, bring back Bebo. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I suppose that, like one part of it is the, is the business model of the platforms. The other part of it is the way the algorithms work. Um, I mentioned a, an investigation that was done by The Guardian in the book. Um, they looked at um people or they you know set up a number of kind of stock puppet accounts or whatever on facebook and joined a lot of QAnon groups uh during the pan no sorry wrong they joined a number of anti-lockdown groups during the, the the pandemic and what they found was that facebook then started recommending them QAnon groups because the same kind of discussions were taking place in these mm. groups so the algorithms kind of think well you might be interested in this right so that's another thing is that the algorithms are kind of pushing people into this stuff it's not that people were going necessarily seeking out specific QAnon material. It was kind of landing into their feeds in this way because they might have been pissed off with pandemic restrictions and joined an anti-lockdown group, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and then they were fed kind of down this rabbit hole as well. Um, and then the other thing, the way I try and explain it, I mean, the pandemic was a, oh, the pandemic has changed things so much, right? So kind of before the pandemic, these kind of movements, the likes of kind of the anti-vaccine movement and say like the anti-5G people and QAnon and things like that, they kind of lived in their own spaces online for the most part, right? But what happened when the pandemic struck was that they all started talking about COVID and new communities popped up, say on the likes of Telegram or you know even on Facebook as well. And suddenly all these communities essentially coalesced. So now what you have instead of, you know, Instead of, you know, if you go onto Telegram or, or Facebook or any of those groups, you don't really get groups that are very, very specifically about anti-vaccine stuff. They kind of have everything kind of pushed into them. Um, and they also in the middle of this, you have like far right extremist stuff. So you have like white nationalist stuff that's also in the middle of this. So now you have this big kind of hybridized threat of movements that believe in loads of different kind of theories and they borrow each other's tactics and borrow each other's strategies. So that's another thing as well that kind of came out of the pandemic really is that it's it's very hard to kind of separate a lot of these groups now anymore because they kind of all tend to believe in a massive glob of the same stuff. Has that, glob, being, glob being a very technical term. <laughs> <laughs> has, that, um, has that kind of amplified and accelerated things from an Irish perspective? Because it seemed like a couple of years ago even it, it was kind of there, but it was kind of under the surface, whereas now, Jesus, it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the same thing that's happened internationally has happened here, right? So I think to a lesser extent, like um, I would say that Ireland is kind of booking the trend a little bit than what's happening internationally. And even if you see, you know, even politically, right, you see, you know, far right parties in Italy and Sweden and stuff like that, like rising to power. That hasn't happened here. Um, now I know we haven't had an election since the start of 2020 and we don't know like what will change in the meantime. But for the most part, we have rejected those kind of far right parties yeah. uh, at the polls or whatever. Um, but in saying that, what in the online context, as I say, what's happening internationally is also happening here. So that same kind of hybridized force is also taking root here. And you see this now because the, the kind of the pandemic has, you know, taken a backseat, I suppose, for a lot of these movements. And although they're still very much kind of tightened the same kind of anti-vaccine stuff and things like that related to the pandemic, they're now moving on to other things. And 
a lot of the time what you'll see is that what happens in the states will you know eventually come up happen over here and it's it's happening quicker and quicker all the time i used to say like you know we were a couple of years behind what happens in the states but at this stage we're like a couple of weeks behind what happens in the states um and one of the big things that these groups have turned their attention to now is anti-lgbt anti-lgbtq stuff or anti-trans stuff is really it is absolutely everywhere and that kind of followed a pattern from what happened in the us as well um after the after the pandemic and after the 2020 election when, and this kind of goes back to QAnon, you know, I suppose for anyone who doesn't know, I suppose the the central kind of theme of QAnon is the idea that the world has been run by an elite group of, of pedophiles who like secretly, secretly control the world and that Donald Trump was the savior, right? Um, and after the 2020 election and um, after all the, the madness and the kind of, you know, election denial stuff, QAnon kind of changed tack and they decided that and the, the leaders of the movement very explicitly said this. They said, you have to start infiltrating school boards and you have to start, you know, getting positions on school boards to stop this, you know, rampant paedophilia, again, using air quotes there, that has taken place in schools. And where do they find paedophilia? In any kind of education related to LGBTQ rights, right? So, you know, the same thing is happening, as I say, what's happening in the US, the same thing's happening here on a lower, on a lower level, but it is here. Yeah, very much so. Is this... That's just bonkers, isn't it? Like even yeah. even the 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 emotional blackmail to the world paedophile, like you know. I know that's it, the thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like oh, you don't believe it, but that's a paedophile. You then then you like you you you're in favor of paedophiles, are you? Like, mm-hmm. What? Where? Yeah. yeah. What? How was this? Yeah. What's this? Yeah, exactly. Because it's like it's the worst possible thing. Do you know what I mean? That you can yeah. that you can call someone essentially. So it's you know yeah. Is, yeah, that's just... is, is it too kind of is it too much of a broad sweeping comment to kind of say there's a massive correlation to kind of that sort of right wing Christianity and those kind of things that like it, there seems to be that kind of evangelical Christian mindset in mm. a lot of this kind of Q or anti LGBT anti trans kind of d- d- doctrine that they're coming out with. Like. Yeah, very much so. And I'm I'm very careful to say that, and I kind of hope I make this point well in the book, is that, you know, I don't think all religion is nonsense and it shouldn't be seen as not. I think, you know, there's a lot of kind of religious beating in this country for a lot of rightful reasons, right? But, you know, what a lot of research finds is that it's not just, you know, kind of standard religious or Christian beliefs that will pull people into this stuff. It's the the kind of fundamentalist stuff. It's the real extremist stuff um, mm. that will pull people into into the kind of conspiratorial mindset. There is, yeah, there is quite a bit of overlap there. Um, like talking, say, specifically about the anti-trans stuff that you see now, a lot of that comes from the Christian right in the US and has kind of been pushed out through, you know, smaller kind of organizations in, you know, some in Ireland. I won't say their names because God forbid you get <laughs> you get a legal letter from, you know, that institute that people tend to sometimes uh, talk about. <laughs> You can cut you can cut that out if you're even scared of that. That's the thing. It's really it's really frustrating in this country that you can't feckin', you yeah. know, talk properly about these things. But yes, to answer your question, there is definitely an overlap there. And what you've kind of seen, especially in recent years, is that a lot of the kind of Irish far right influencers are leaning more and more into the kind of Christian fascist kind of side of things as well jesus said in the bible he was explicit in the bible about transsexuals wasn't he oh exactly yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um but and again same things happen in the us you know you see someone like marjorie taylor green who is 
you know, kind of promoting this kind of Christian nationalism or Christian fascism, whichever way you kind of want to look at it. It's kind of, um, and yeah, it's it's really it's really scary to be honest. It's really scary that mm. we're in 2022 and this is the stuff that is you know kind of you and know style stuff. Yeah, honestly, like yeah, like do you think you know you were saying there that you know it is kind of creeping into Ireland, but so far we've rejected it. Do you think we have rejected it because of? Uh, the Christian element to it in as far as our relationship with the Catholic Church uh, mm. kind of kind of went really pear-shaped in the early to mid-90s with all the sex yeah. stuff. Do you think that's maybe why oh look get away? I think that's an element of it for sure. Um, I don't know of anyone who has looked at, like I would look to, love to actually look into this specifically and kind of figure out why it is that we've rejected it but from talking to people I suppose over the years that's definitely one of the things that kind of comes up is the fact that Ireland was kind of under this authoritarian rule of the Catholic Church for so long and I think that a lot of people are just like we're not fucking going back to that shit you know what I mean (laughs) so I think that you know in some ways it might be a bit of a blessing in disguise there's another few reasons as well that I kind of think one is that we don't, I mean, you can complain about the media here till the cows come home. I am not, you know what I mean? There's there's loads of reasons to complain about the media, but we do not have the partisan media that you have in the US. Yeah. We don't have the Fox News or uh, OAN or all those like really, really kind of um, conspiratorial and kind of right-wing news sites. We don't have GB News that they have in the UK. Do you know what I mean? So we've kind of, so far, we've kind of rejected that kind of, of news, like except for my pals at Gript who are trying their best, but, um, yeah. Um, so that's another reason. Um, I also, there's definitely other reasons that I kind of talk about this at the end of the book and I can't remember the other one. The other one I think might also be true is the fact that the troubles in Northern Ireland and the troubles in the country just in general Mm. are still quite fresh in the memories of a lot of people of, of, you know, probably older than us, but like, you know, um, a couple of generations older. And I think that maybe people are aware of where kind of irrational hatred can lead to. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of reasons I think that's, that, that we might be a little bit more immune to it, but I, but I you mean would that also- about the troubles as in like, oh, <clears throat> it, it's still relatively kind of, um, we, we've had peace for so long now that we mm. don't want any more drama as in. Yeah, you know, I think so. Do you know what I mean? People live the way they should live. Who gives a shy type of thing? Yes, I think there is a little bit of that going on. Again, this is all it's kind good, of, though. It's, it's, all, it's all a little bit of guesswork at this stage and I would love yeah, if, anyone, yeah. if anyone is looking yeah. into this in a very specific way um, to kind of tell me, <laughs> tell me if I'm right or not. But yeah. I guess it makes sense though, wouldn't it? Like from an anecdotal point of view, um, like you'd be talking to someone maybe from, from the six and they just want a peaceful life and they don't care if mm. uh, if someone is going through the change of, of transitioning, uh, you know, like mm. ultimately it's nobody's business. And yeah, yeah. No, anyone who's going through the change isn't trying to force change on anyone else. Whereas mm. If you're part of a religious organization, you're trying to put change on the public. You're trying to force them to live a way that you don't want to live. Nobody's yeah. nobody's doing that to the, the the transgender community. So just leave them be like. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there is a part of that. And I mean, I also think as well, again, this is just me, you know, kind of thinking out loud. But, you know, I was raised in good old Catholic Ireland. I went to mass and did the the whole shebang up until, you know, whenever I decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore. But um 
there is like I think Irish people definitely have a certain level of compassion and empathy that is kind of rooted in in a lot of that kind of Catholicism that the, the way mm. the way we were raised as well. And I think it really shows like even now, obviously, the country is really struggling to deal with the, the influx of refugees from Ukraine and, and all over the world. And there does still seem to be this sense of we need to do what we can for these people because they are in dire straits do you know what i mean yeah, and there yeah. and maybe that again kind of does go back to that kind of you know that kind of sense of catholicism and christianity that's kind of built into a lot of people and maybe that's the good part maybe that's the, that's um yeah that's kind of left it's, over yeah it's it's mad because like even thinking back to during the pandemic and um, one of the things that i think that caught everyone's attention was and i can't remember what what uh tribe or branch of the native americans it was but like Irish mm. people donating because during the famine or whatever, this yeah. particular tribe had sent stuff to Ireland and it was kind of like 200 years ago, they fucking helped them, lads. Help them. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is this kind of weird compassion that we have that like we we do often look at something and go, geez, you know, that, that was us once upon a time. What can we yeah. do to help kind of thing? Um, yeah. And now there's plenty of people out there that are trying to say that we're just woke, that it's all yeah. wokeism, blah, 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 which yeah. is the, just the, a word uh, that needs to be thrown in the bin, in my opinion. It needs to be thrown in the bin because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just about accountability, not being woke, for God's yeah. sake. Exactly. Like, yeah. Ireland's full, though, lads. Do you not know that? Ireland's full. <laughs> Did you see, um, like, even, even Graham Norton uh, made a, a comment, the most kind of neutral comment, not attacking comment. He didn't attack anybody and he he was forced off Twitter because Yeah, I saw like something about that. Yeah. JK Rowland stuff and all. It's like like JK Rowland is a fucking gazillionaire and yeah. she's letting trans topics ruin her day and mm-hmm. pontificate against it. Like, get it. Yeah. yeah. It's the same with Graham Linehan, you know. Yeah, yeah can't watch Father Ted the same way anymore. <sighs> It's so frustrating. It's like one of the best Irish TV shows and now, you know, and even Harry Potter. I'm very sad. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, even though I feel like each their own, you can separate the art from the artist. I still listen to Michael Jackson. You know, I just, I I couldn't, I couldn't give up Michael Jackson. And and I've gone back to listen to Morrissey as well. I can't tell you how many intros you have to change in this podcast because the music, we are like, oh, they don't have to be in an arsehole. We have to get rid of this now. Yeah, constantly. Well, that's the thing. Everybody these days is only kind of like one tweet away from something that is, you know, well, that's them ruined for a few years or whatever. Um, but but, but yeah. Norton, Graham Norton was saying, listen to the experts, listen to the people with the yeah. lived experiences. That's all mm-hmm. he said. And he yeah. and, and the anti-trans movement straight onto him, giving him grief. And he left Twitter because of it. It was a, it was a nice articulated discussion about mm. let's listen to the people that it, it's it's affecting let's listen to the lived experience let's listen to the professionals yeah, you know? yeah. This, just... this, this has been a bit of a digression away from your yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but but, but it is it, it's a digression but it's about it's about kind of manipulation on the social media to get people yeah. into the right wing uh way of thinking and mm. conspiracy theory and you know Ireland first, all this nonsense. It's also yeah. the, py- the pylon. That's something that I think is kind of common enough with these kind of groups or people who affiliate to these kind of groups where, you know, somebody says something that they don't agree with and suddenly, you know, the inbox and whatever and your 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 timeline, your mentions are full from people who are, you know, you're, you're taking money from George Soros. Um, mm-hmm. For the record, I am not. But if George Soros <laughs> is listening, George... <laughs> More than happy to give you a revolute, pal. 
Yeah, give you a red loop there, George. Feel, feel free to get in touch, George. Um, Bill Gates is out there, you know, doing all the things he's doing. Um, it wasn't a vaccine that I have in my arm. It's 5G. But to be fair, I'm able to stream on Netflix now. No bother for me phone. Mm-hmm. I live in the countryside. Yeah. So hook it to me veins, lads. Like, all these things kind of compile into a us and them mentality. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, it's very dangerous as well. Like. Yeah. It kind of, it's a lot of conspiratorial thinking kind of, yeah, as you say, kind of, it, it, it feeds into this us and them thinking or black and white thinking. Mm. Um, and so the idea that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lack of nuance in conspiratorial thinking. And I say this, you know, the first chapter of the book for anyone who hasn't read it is essentially about the psychology of conspiratorial belief and kind of trying to explain why it is that like why it is number one that we're all really irrational thinkers at the end of the day but why some people are kind of more prone to to I suppose that irrationality um and I give I give a couple of examples right so you know the idea that the media doesn't always tell you the truth right that is a statement that pretty much everyone should agree with right because the media doesn't always tell you the truth but there are multiple reasons why the media doesn't always tell you the truth it's not because there's someone up the top, you know, the kind of puppet master that's going like, this is what you need to tell people today. You know, that's that's not the thing. But within the conspiratorial mindset, it will be that the media is constantly lying to you. Do you know what I mean? So there's no there's no room for nuance. It's black and white. It's the media is mm. bad and that's it. And it's the same with, say, politicians. It's not that, you know, some politicians don't always work in favor of the citizens they represent. In the conspiratorial mindset, it is politicians are actively working to destroy your life do you know what i mean so it is it's very much trying to pitch people against each other and yeah that is the kind of dangerous element of it and it is also you know that us versus them mentality is a an inherent part of fascist movements which is why a lot of this is feeding into these kind of far-right ideologies you know yeah yeah it's um it's just it's 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 fascinating and as i said like kind of I'm raging that I have a nine to five job because all I want to do is just keep reading the book. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, professional life gets in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that, like, in in the process of writing the book or researching for the book, is there anything that kind of shocked you or surprised you that you had to kind of go, hang on a second here? Mm. Um, okay, so the second chapter. Have you read the second chapter yet? I've just is... started the second chapter. Right. Okay. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So the second chapter is essentially like a really, really quick run through about 250 years of history right um and that admittedly is not my area of expertise right so that mm. chapter took a a substantial amount more time to to research than any of the other chapters right um but one of the things i really wanted to get across in that chapter was i i feel like especially in ireland there tends to be this this idea that we are we're not racist. We're 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 lovely people. You know what I mean. We're we're we we don't have that. It's not in us or whatever. Um, and what I wanted to get across was the fact that actually, Ireland has never been immune to this stuff. And mm. so I started looking into essentially the kind of history of conspiratorial thought in the tw- in twentieth century Ireland. Um, and a lot of this is all about anti-Semitism. So a lot of that chapter is kind of explaining how a lot of both past conspiracy theories and modern conspiracy theories are very, very much rooted in anti-Semitic beliefs. Um, and I was really interested in looking into this in Ireland because it was fucking everywhere. <laughs> like it was literally everywhere. Um, I talked to Brian Hanley, who's a historian in Trinity, and I, I can't remember the quote that he said, He, but it was something, and it's in the book, it's something along the lines of, you know, 
it was so, like anti-Semitism was remarkable only because it was ubiquitous. It was just everywhere. Do you know what I mean? And it was the same as it was in in Europe and across Europe at the time. And it's really only I think it's only really luck that we didn't kind of succumb to to the fascism that was kind of, you know, widespread throughout Europe at the time. And mm. probably because we were more um, more interested in matters of sovereignty and trying to kind of, you know, I suppose, you know, get away from the Brits. And that was probably, you know, one of the reasons why fascism didn't really take but it did take a hold as well do you know what yeah. I mean and I kind of look into the blue shirts who you know kind of came together with Common the Gale to form Fine Gael do you know what I mean so there's I think that chapter in particular was just really interesting to me and probably just because it wasn't something that I'd looked into in any kind of serious way before but the main thing that I wanted to get across as I say was the fact that Ireland has never been immune to this stuff and we're not immune to it today in the same way. And I think it's really important to kind of show that that people that we would know from history were actually as susceptible to this stuff as people are today. We we have a little bit of a tendency as well when somebody comes out with something like that, where we just kind of back away, ease ourselves away from it, or just go, Asher, he's a bit of a character kind of thing. Mm. But like, is there like, so people who have kind of gone down some of these rabbit holes or they're, you know, shown similar mindset to Kanye West, say, at the moment. Like, should, like, how can we approach that in terms of, or should we be trying to approach that? You know, is there a moral question there, I guess, around saying, hang on a second, mate. What are, what are mm. you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kanye West, I have thoughts about Kanye West. I mean, I do think that, I won't touch on this too much, actually, but I do mm. just think that Kanye West is really, really unwell. And I think yeah, that yeah, yeah. the fact that the media is... Oh, paying so much attention to him is really, really problematic. But again, it's problematic you know, because it's he's being exploited and his mental health, his illness is being exploited. Exactly. And then, and then it further stigmatizes his mental health conditions. And I just think it's very sad. Yeah. And then over the weekend, I don't know if you saw, but there was um, a crowd of lads with banners in, I think, somewhere in Los Angeles with, you oh, know, banners that say yeah, Kanye is right about the Jews. And that just shows that like celebrity, celebrities kind of tighten this stuff. It's really, it's, it's feeding into the entire, the, the you know, yeah. it's, it's just feeding into the, the amplification of it all. Do you know what I mean? Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. What was I going to say? But the, the, but the thing about it is, <laughs> well, though, uh, Aoife, that I would be concerned about with the Kanye thing is, mm. There could be, like, he has been diagnosed with numerous mental health conditions and there could mm. be people at home dealing very well with those mental health conditions and now they're being further stigmatised by yeah. media, the American media, exploiting him. And, you know, he's, as you said, he's completely unwell and it, mm. it just shouldn't be, it shouldn't be put out there. Like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say, though. I think you asked about, like, what you can do about this yes, stuff, yeah. I suppose, and what, like... um so I kind of I end the book, I suppose, with a bit of advice, I suppose, for people that are dealing with people that they have in their lives that are kind of falling into this stuff. Um, one thing, well, the first thing I'm going to shamelessly say, I think you should read the book so you understand these things a, bit, a little bit more, which is the, the reason I wrote it, I suppose. Um, but as you say, it's it's easy to kind of dismiss people and it's easy to go, that person's crazy and, you know, we're, we're not going to take on board anything they say, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's easy to probably to cut people out of your life, I think, when when they're kind of down, you know, when they've gotten into that line of thinking. Um, and I suppose it's hard to kind of give, you know, 
overarching advice, but I suppose the one piece of advice that I'll always give is to just try and keep people in your life as much as you can. I know sometimes that's not possible. I talked to a number of people for the book who told me that it wasn't possible to keep people in their lives because it was just, you know, it was starting to affect their own mental health. And I kind of, I understand that as well. Um, but the risk is always that people will be, well, I, I suppose, the people will be further pushed away from reality, right? To the mm -hmm. point that they won't really have a lifeline back to reality. So that's why I'll always say, just try and keep them in your life. Even if you have to say, we're not talking about politics, we're not talking about COVID, we're not talking about vaccines, we're not talking, you know what I mean? And put down ground rules, but just try and keep them in your life, right? Yeah. Apart from that, the way to kind of approach this stuff is always going to be with empathy, right? And that is really hard to do because I think that a lot of people have a tendency to, again, just tell people, well, you're fucking wrong and you're you're hateful or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? And no one wants to hear that. No one is going to take yeah. kindly to those kind of words. But what really, what I find is that a lot of kind of conspiratorial thought is rooted in very real fears, right? Um, and it's really trying to figure out what those fears are. Um, so you might have someone who is really scared of um, the way technology is tracking us, which I think is a very, very valid, you know, fear. Do you know what I mean? And that might feed into anti-5G stuff. Do you know what I mean? Um, you might have someone who had some kind of a really bad experience with some kind of healthcare institution or some kind of, you know, a doctor or something like that there that is now against vaccines. Again, that's a very real, that's something very real that happened to someone. So it's about kind of trying to get to that level and to try and kind of figure out why it is that people are being drawn into this stuff. And it's also about trying to build up a level of trust with that person. It's a very, very, it's a slow process and it's not really guaranteed to work, to be honest. Um, but it is really all about kind of empathy and compassion and trying to really kind of understand what it is that, that pulls people into this. I reference a book at the end of it, even though, you know, I probably shouldn't be promoting another book when I'm promoting my book, but it's a <laughs> book by, by a guy called Mick West. It's called Escaping the Rabbit Hole. It's just behind me on my bookshelf here. Um, and that book is literally all about giving people advice for trying to pull friends and family members out of the rabbit hole. So I would recommend that as well um, for, for kind of more practical tips, I suppose. Mm um but yeah i mean it's really difficult and i wouldn't say to anyone that there's any guarantee that you'll be able to pull people out of it um because it just really depends on how far they're into it and how much it has kind of become a part of the way they live their lives and also if they are involved in online communities as well that's because yeah. there's a there's a feedback loop there and there's a lot of um you know people are constantly being told that they're they're right about things and that everyone else is wrong and that can be very very powerful and a very powerful way to keep people in that line of thinking, you know. If was there any apprehension in writing the book in terms of the response that you would get and more so the negative response? Like, yes. Because <laughs> we all know, I mean, we tried to promote the upcoming uh, appearance on the podcast and there was quite a few, uh, let me say, just responses. So yeah. did, was there an apprehension before writing or was it a case of, no, I don't, I don't care, I'm writing this anyway? Oh, no, I'll be very honest. I mean, there's constant apprehension. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I, I've been doing this now, doing this work for, you know, over five years. Um, and since the first time I wrote anything about, you know, the Irish far right or any of those kind of movements, I have been consistently targeted. And, you know, so I knew that writing the book was going to be, that I was going to get a lot more attention than I probably ever have done. Um, mm. But there's also like this stubborn part of me that's kind of like, well, this is why I fucking do this at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? I do this so that, you know, these people can, so that people can 
I suppose, that, so that they can be exposed to a lot of this stuff as well and kind of know what it is that, that pulls people in. Um, sorry, I kind of lost my lost my my train of thought there, but I suppose that the, the, you're the not easy... living in your mansion, but uh, funded by Soros then on the top of <laughs> no, and the, the thing is that people... or anything like that. No, like, and see, this is the thing, right? So ISD, who I work for, they're a, a nonprofit think tank that, you know, we, everyone that works there kind of researches a different kind of area of extremism or disinformation or, or whatever it is. And yes, we have got money from George Soros. And yes, we have got money from Bill Gates. And so it is very easy to just kind of dismiss everything that I do as well. She's a Soros puppet or she's a Bill Gates puppet or whatever it is. But um, for anyone who has ever tried to get funding to do any kind of nonprofit work, they will know that it is so hard to get money. It's like it is the most annoying part of our jobs, I would say. I hate it. I absolutely hate trying to get funding because it is so difficult to do. And the idea that, you know, the the people that we get money off are determining what it is that we research is just completely untrue. And I honestly wouldn't work for an organization that would tell me what I what it was that I was to research. Like I, so I mean, it's very hard to convince people, do you know what I mean? But yeah. I sit here at my computer, I do my work. I, I write the report, do you know what I mean? It's very hard yeah. to kind of convince people that that is the way that it works. Um, anyway, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent here. The simple and answer to Tangents are good, that, and that's a good yeah, tangent. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the this entire podcast is like, yes. is like 200 yeah, yeah. something episodes of us just going everywhere and anywhere <laughs> and yeah. not a coherent train of thought at all. So don't worry about um, it. But yeah, as I say, like I will always know that my work will be scrutinized to a, a, a higher degree than I think a lot of other people's work is scrutinized. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And I kind of hope that I just hope that the book kind of allows people to understand why it is that people that people think that way, I suppose. You know what I mean? And you will. I'm sure when you promote this podcast on Twitter, you'll get plenty of people in the in the replies telling you that you know, you shouldn't, that you're promoting propaganda or whatever it is, but... Um, yeah, that's, that's all. Right. We're, we're, we'll be in Dubai in our five-star hotel that you're... Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting to see what's on the menu with the Sorrows lunch on Saturday, that's all, you know. <laughs> um, but Eva, look, c- congratulations on the book and wish all the best with it. Um, I, yeah, look, I mean, I think you're, you're right. You're always going to get people who are going to, and Twitter of all places. My God, Twitter is a cesspit at times. Like Twitter is a cesspit. I think, yeah. like, I've been saying this for a while, but I, I would, I'll say I'll probably get rid of my Twitter fairly soon. I think yeah. probably by the end of the year when the, the book is promoted, because it's not worth it. I actually just don't think it's worth it anymore. I'm just like, no, I don't need to, to, put that on myself and it's just like yeah, yeah absolutely you know? absolutely yeah. but um yeah look thanks so much for joining us um i was gonna me. ask great uh, chat where people chat, find really on twitter it. but uh sure look no point now <laughs> you can find me on twitter for now i bet you any money i'll fucking never get rid of my twitter it's probably it's something that i've been saying for ages. <laughs> we all we've all been there <laughs> because at the end of the day i'm kind of addicted to it as well do you know what i mean so yeah. like, oh listen yeah. man you're just like that endless scroll, you know, just that endless scroll. When you yeah. just go, when you just watch the videos of dogs doing things and 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 cats doing crazy things, it's why would you want to leave? Yeah, I know, that's, yeah, because that's all the Twitter is, isn't it? That's all the Twitter is. It's my little, <laughs> little eco chamber, anyway. Eva, um, the book is Web of Lies. Eva Gallagher is the author, and uh, thank you so much again, Eva, for your time today. Really, really. Thanks for having it. me, lads. A wonderful conversation with Eva Gallagher. Um, and as we said, the book, Web of Lies, The Lore and Danger of Conspiracy Theories, is in all good bookshops and indeed some rubbish ones now.
well recommended. I'm, I was hoping I'd get it read before I go on my holidays and then I could read The Rodfather by Roddy Collins and Paul Howard. They were going to be my two holiday books. So that's that's me. That's me target. So, so you'll bring them, will you? Uh, yeah. yeah How long's your flight? Uh, I think it's like seven hours, is it? Yeah, you'll probably uh, read the book in seven hours, would you? I'll do a little bit of sleeping. So I'd say like, I'll get a good bit of it read and whatever. I'll at least, I'd say I'd get a good, I'll, I'll finish Aoife's book and then I'll get a good start on Roddy and Paul's book. Um, I'm going to get Roddy and Paul's audiobook. Yeah, that'd be very good. The audiobook would be very good. Um, but yeah, great guest, Aoife. Brilliant. Brilliant lovely, guest. Absolutely lovely, brilliant guest. Lovely human being. Uh, I love that Irish, that particular Irish accent as well. Yeah, the Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she's... Uh, it's brilliant. The book is absolutely brilliant. She knows her stuff and delighted she decided to take some time out in the middle of the week to chat to absolute weirdos like us. But nonetheless, Meryl. Yes. I think that will do us for this week, will it? That will do, for, do it for this week. If you want to listen to any previous podcast or, in fact, subscribe to us, go to WTSPod.com or search WTSPod on any podcast provider, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at WTSPod or you can check Danjo Murray out uh, at Danjo Murray. And I'm at Mary Gamania. And also you can go to at Shamrock Rovers to see Shamrock Rovers, the 20th league champions and three in a row. Champions, champions. Until next week, clear eyes. Full hearts can't lose. Champions. Champions.